of holly your turn russ all right welcome everybody to the eyes on big podcast your go-to big 10 football podcast i'm your co-host jeffrey the greek joined as always by this is big kurt big kurt you on twitter big kurt on twitter at b1gkurt and i am jeffrey the greek at jeffrey the greek as you probably can uh attest to the different intro of this week's podcast we got a different theme. We got we got a little bit of a Christmas theme going on. And here. I'm not even being grinchy about it. I know. That which is kind of crazy. Yes. I I threw out some of these ideas how to start this podcast off differently and I thought I would be you know, you would throw it back in my face, but you went well, in for it. Well, it is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Well, okay. I think that's unanimous, right? <laughs> well, okay, let's get to that. Um so we're recording this on Monday the 16th. We are still a full 11 days from any Big Ten team playing their bowl game. So we got we got a little ways to go yet with that. Um, but we're only nine days away from Christmas. So it seemed like appropriate time to go down the list. I put a list on Twitter of my favorite uh, Christmas movies uh, to which... Which Most I thought people was, liked, it was but a you, terrible list. You thought the list was awful. So obviously it's a non-Big Ten football-related item. So Correct. we're not going to agree on it. That's how, that, that's how our lives go. Um, but yes, let's start out before we get to my list. Because obviously the movie Christmas Vacation starring Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. Uh, very high on my list. I don't want to spoil it yet because it's, it's not number one. Okay. It's, it's number um, one on mine. So... Right there, like the the first part of the movie, opening scene. Number one, the opening scene with the cartoon in that song. It's Mavis something. I don't know who the singer is. Okay. You cannot find that song on the interwebs. Maybe it's on the dark. You cannot download it to your phone. I've tried 50 so times. So strange. It's weird. Every so, Actually, most songs in this movie, you 
cannot find for whatever reason. That is that is weird, especially yeah. that song because it so defines that movie. Absolutely. Like it's a perfect opening for that movie. It is an amazing opening. And then you go right into Chevy Chase driving the station wagon down the road, singing the front, the front wheel drive slide. <laughs> like that scene right there where he's singing the Let us adore him. I told you when we watched it the other night, uh, truth be told, Kurt and I imbibed a little bit of little bit of bourbon. Oh, there the was other some night. imbibing, man. <laughs> yeah. I then, looked at that bottle the next day and said, "Holy crap! Got, I got, did got. some work." And something that I've done more of this year than in the past is uh, I, I've put down a few before popping in some of my favorite Christmas movies. Boy, it's enhanced my enjoyment of them. Well, Three it, times I've done that. It enhances everything, let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. And right from the get-go, Chevy Chase singing that song. Like, what I think he's doing is singing it like how a dad sings I in think church. so. Like, he's over-singing it, yeah. right? But kind of intentionally to embarrass his kids, right? Yes. Yeah. Right from the get-go, Chevy Chase is on his A-game. Absolutely. Movie. I mean, two of my favorite movies in the world are Fletch and Christmas Vacation. Fletch is amazing. It's um, probably my favorite comedy. Of, so not just favorite Chevy Chase, favorite comedy period. Favorite comedy I'm period. I'm definitely not going to hurt. I'm not going to you know, put down anybody that thinks Fletch is number one. It ranks really high for me. Um, a quick Chevy Chase ranking for me. I put Christmas Vacation number one. I'd actually put Spies Like Us number two. That was that a one, good one, man. That one just kind of danced yeah. with me more than than most. But I would probably put Fletch number three. Um, and then on to you know deeper into the movie, the entire scene with him putting the lights up on the house. Oh yeah, it's just classic. I mean, my thing with that, like we were talking during this movie. And we had talked about how Michael Richards on Seinfeld had to think out his scenes, his yeah, physical he, comedy scenes. He, he was very regimented. He uh, Repetition was his friend. He went over and over his, his scenes painstakingly by himself, too. Uh, yeah, he was very dedicated to that character. And what we're talking about here is a commitment to your craft. A commitment to prank falls is something Chevy Chase got his career going sure. with, falling down the stairs yeah. Saturday Night Live. This was before my time, but I've watched the replays a thousand times. Um, so that Christmas lights, putting up the lights, <laughs> when he falls backwards on the ladder, <laughs> and his back hits the tree, hits the tree. And he pushes himself <laughs> back to the house. And then falls around to the other side of the ladder and does that oh, ha, oh, ha, with the arm. with the arm in the front back front back and he can't kind of find the the place that that's the part that's the best part of that scene to me is with the hand. I mean, I have probably watched that movie something like twenty Christmases in a row. Oh yeah, I watch it and, at least and I once can't a year. imagine twenty from now that I won't still laugh oh, at that no, scene absolutely. every time. It's going to kill yes, me every time. Correct, because you never watch the movie. The rest of the year, it never, it never. No, gets not very. Up. No, no, it's pretty rare if I do. Oh God, that one kills me. Um, the scene in the mall. Uh, there's two good parts in the scene in the mall, right? I mean, number well, one, get an Illinois shout there out. There you go. That was number from, one from Rusty. Rusty's got the Illinois shirt on. Yeah. the The coat is wide open in the store yep. just to show the entire Illini uh, faithful. And then just the whole scene with Mary, uh, the hot chick behind the front desk, absolutely. Tis the well, season to be married. <laughs> the stores wouldn't be any, what they, less they, hooter, they, hotter than they are. The hotter than they are. Um, by the way, what, the pool scene later on, when I was 12 years old, 14, like 
always wanted to see the Tatas when she came up out of the pool. Sure. Always thought maybe this would be the one, <laughs> the version of the movie where they show them. Never show the Tatas. They never do. Speaking of Tatas, no offense to Mary, the hot front, che- the, the desk chick. Beverly D'Angelo is in her absolute a game in she, this movie. She's the she's the Tatas for the whole movie. She is. For for me anyway. I when you watch that movie, I mean I was a little kid when that movie came out. Um but as you get older, you when you're young, I mean even in yeah, high you, school or college age, you can't appreciate Beverly no. D'Angelo. And then at some point, There's probably flips. late 20s yeah, and your late, 30s you're like, "Wait a tick." Yeah. Beverly I don't D'Angelo. remember her being that hot. She's incredibly hot. Yes. Um, and then what, another thing I would say is the grandparents in the movie, all four of them are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like Cousin Eddie, I mean, Shitter's full, fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Every scene he's in is classic. But if you threw a, a, you know, a wet towel in there with one of the grandparents, it would have brought the movie down. Those grandparents. Oh, they were great. Are fantastic, yeah. man. The one mom, she went on to Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, right? that's right. She did, yeah. Yeah, so she wound up being kind yeah. of a big deal. A little known fact, uh, Chevy Chase's mom, whoever the actress is, I think I, I think it was something like she's only four years, five years older that's than her. That's right, in yeah. In real life, she was, they had to uh, doctor her up to look older. But uh, And then, uh, I don't know if it was my favorite scene, but... In the attic, the the whole scene with obviously more Chevy Chase Pratt falls, stepping on the two by four, smack him in the face. Yeah, the first two are funny when he gets himself with the third one. <laughs> and like, I gotta think like the director and Chevy Chase are sitting there like, do you think three's how too many, many times? Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, how many are we going to the well too many times here? What's Chevy's the like, perfect no, number? We can yeah. do three. Um, and then uh. Uh, he sits up in the attic and watches the old, you know, millimeter, eight millimeter, whatever yeah. those are, movies. And then he's playing the song by Ray Charles, yep. which is another amazing song and another amazing song that you cannot what? find. Yeah, it's how called, can you not find It's that called one. The Spirit of Christmas. If our one of our listeners has a way, like, can you find it on the internet? Yes, you can play just like we played the Christmas yeah, vacation but song, not- but you can't download it to your phone. I can't find it. Or is it on Spotify? You've checked Spotify. It could be on Spotify. It's not on Apple iTunes. I know that much. But so I think we've singled out the the Christmas Vacation movie. Um, But now we'll go through the rest of the list so that Kurt and I can start. This is your list that you posted to Twitter. Correct. A week or so ago. So this isn't the greatest movies of all time. These are my favorite movies of all time. Well, your favorite Christmas movies movies of all time. time. What I'm saying is. If you put a list together of the greatest Christmas movies, I understand there's going to be some that I don't have on my list because they're iconic, but that doesn't mean I have to like them. Okay. And the other side of it is I was shocked that you reacted so semi-violently, I would say. Considering I don't like Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't like all Christmas movies, though. To me, it would be like uh, somebody saying, I hate appetizers. I do not like believe in appetizers and then critiquing everybody at the table for what soup they pick up. <laughs> I think it's a little different than it's that. Pretty, pretty close. Um, okay. So let's talk about me and Christmas. I am a Scrooge. I'm a Grinch. I know it. I'm not a fan of Christmas, but it doesn't mean I can't enjoy certain aspects of the season. Okay. So we've figured out you don't hate all of Christmas. You just hate part I of it. I dislike it 
80%. I think that's even high. I bet you if you really started thinking about it, it'd be like 50-50. Okay, maybe it is. Okay, all right. Should we start from the top and work our way to the bottom or reverse? You Let's start me. from the bottom. Work from the bottom? Yeah. Okay. Now, naturally, I did 12, the top 12. Why? 12 days of Christmas. Okay, there you go. So you're you're not... I'm catching on here. <laughs> all right, so number 12, Grinch that Stole Christmas, the 2000 version. So is Jim that Carrey. Jim Carrey? I never saw it. Never saw it? No. Okay. Um, very very good production of that movie. With that being said, if you want to switch this one out, put the brand new one in or put the, the original I mean, the cartoon. original one when I was a kid, I liked that one. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you could, you so, could flip you those know, out. I'm not going to argue with that. So far, so good. Yep. Number 11, The Polar Express. Never saw it. I never saw it until my nephew saw it. Um, you wouldn't know this because you haven't seen the movie, but the kid in the movie has a blue robe or a, a robe on the whole time. Okay. Because the Polar Express wakes him up in the middle of the night, takes him okay. to the North Pole while he's still in his PJs. Uh, my nephew would watch the movie while having the exact same uh, robe on. That that would that's what got me to watch the Polar Express the first time. Really okay. good story. It's a little it's a little messed up. It's all Tom Hanks. Like half the characters are Tom oh, Hanks. Okay, I love Tom it, Hanks. It was the first time that entire movie was with the uh, I don't know what the terminology is, but uh, video capturing where it's not the actual person's face, but they use the person's face and then they overlay it with digital huh. person. First time they'd ever. Okay, done. so it's a little bit creepy, but. That's pretty cool. All right. Okay. Number 10, Love Actually. See, not a Christmas movie. It's definitely a Christmas movie. And I've tried to watch it. I didn't like it. I stopped halfway, like maybe a half hour, 45 minutes in. Okay. You got to have a rom-com on there, whether you like it or not, because Mm. if you got a- Rom-com and Christmas combined together. Wow. That's a tough one for me. The whole point is, you know, at some point you're going to spend some time with your family, and if your significant other is involved- it's a rom-com is going to come about. So you got to play ball. You got to, you okay. gotta, yeah. And it's got the British dry sense of humor. Uh, there's I, death in the movie. I it's not like typically th- do enjoy British humor, but I, that, that movie just didn't grab uh, me. Hugh Grant dancing in, in, in the movie. Fantastic stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I disagree with that one. Continue. Number nine, a classic, my only classic on here, white Christmas with Bing Crosby and Danny, Blue Danny F and K. Um, I, I know I've seen the movie, but it's been so long, I couldn't even tell you what it was about. Um, I, this is my only old movie on the list. I'm not an old movie connoisseur. Um, this movie caught me uh, when I was emotionally compromised. Uh, my first son was born right around Christmas. So I was in the hospital, and you're up, and you're not sleeping, and you're you're, you're just you feel weird about yeah. the universe. And this movie came on, and it just... It just brought, it just soaked me in. Okay, so you're not gonna have a Christmas Carol on here. I do not have. Well, I do not. And you're not gonna have It's a Wonderful Life on here. So mm. that's why I started this out by saying, It's a Wonderful Life is 100 percent going to be on the. Cl- I wouldn't. So argue would you it. say you like the movie It's a Wonderful Life? I have never watched it from start to finish, not once. But you've seen the movie. I have, but like, I I can't pick the scenes out. When hmm. they happen. Okay. It just hasn't drawn me in. It's boring. Boy, it's boring to me. It always grabbed me, even as a little kid. Now, the problem with A Christmas Carol is I didn't know which one to pick. There's like yeah, 17 there's different some, versions that's true. of that. Of the, there, There's the 
another stop motion or whatever you call it that Jim Carrey did. It's actually really good. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that did one. Did not see that one. There's one that Patrick Stewart did. You know, Captain oh, I haven't Picard seen that one. Yeah. From, he, that one is really good. There's the old one with I'm George C. Su- Scott. That's what I'm thinking of, the super old one from like the 40s. I've, I've watched that that's one. That's a great movie. I don't know by great. It's okay. all right. It's pretty good. That's my problem with the Christmas Carol. I just don't know where to put it. Okay. Now we get into some some more controversial ones. Number eight, Die Hard. Not a Christmas movie. So it's movie. not a Christmas no. movie. No. It is generally accepted as a Christmas B- movie. And it's, that's wrong. Okay. It's just not. It's a Christmas It's movie. a shoot em up movie. That's not Christmas. I'm sorry. Just they had a Christ- take- there was a Christmas party. In the just because it takes place during Christmas does not make it a Christmas movie. He had Christmas wrapping paper attached to his back when he pulled the gun off and shot the bad guy. Yes, he did. That's true. That was actually a pretty cool scene. Okay. Uh, Number seven, probably low for some people, Elf, starring Will Ferrell. Great movie. I think you have it ranked right where it should be. Interesting. So you agree with me with that? Yes. Most people have this thing high, like... It's a very good Christmas movie. second or even first. Nah. It's just... It's not that good, but it's not that good. Yeah. I mean, Will Ferrell does a great job. Absolutely. Uh, Another bonus uh, tidbit of info. The scene where he's mixing spaghetti, uh, the the candy, and the syrup. He vomited like two or three times filming that scene. Oh, man. Because it was so disgusting. I imagine. He was actually eating the... Oh, oh, God. God, So bad. Uh, Number six, (sighs) the... Macaulay Culkin tour de force home alone. No, no, no. I've seen it. Just I don't like do it. it. No. Uh, Daniel Stern's amazing in that movie. You know, okay. There is some pretty good Daniel physical Stern's humor hilarious. in that movie between yeah. him and Pesci. Because it's Pesci is the other one, right? Oh yeah, Joe Pesci. Those guys Pesci do does it. great, but Daniel Stern is hilarious. Okay, that I'm not saying it doesn't have merits. Okay, just not my type. Of As movie. a kid, I thought it was cool. The things that he came up with, like I, yeah. every kid at the time wanted to come up with those devices true I guaranteed some of them tried like putting the ma- the mini cars down on the ground to see if somebody'd slip on them any idea what year that movie came out i gotta think it's like 94 give me two seconds gosh is it that it late see i mean the so, thing is it was crazy whatever year that was uh, 1990 macaulay culkin was arguably the biggest okay, so, movie star in the world so hold on 1990 yeah. i was 15 how old were you i was 12 Okay, that's why I don't like it because I was just a, a little difference. too old. Yeah, it makes just a difference. barely too old. Yeah, right. twelve so. would have been a different story. Okay. Um, okay. Next up is uh, number five, probably debatable as a Christmas movie, but I saw it on a Christmas movie list, and I'm like, if they put it on, I can use it. Trading Places, a great movie. I'm like, I'm even mix. gonna let it be a Christmas movie just because it's such because a great you love it. Mo- yes, that much. correct. See, I wouldn't, I haven't put Trading Places on my list in the past, but I, I, I was looking up two lists for inspiration, and it was on both lists, and I'm like, well, if they can use it, I can use it. And Jamie Lee Curtis in that movie. <laughs> we did get to see the Tata. Yes, we did in that movie. They and were they real were... and they were spectacular. <laughs> Jamie Curtis back in the day was. Oh man, you want to talk about underrated? Whew. Um, Mercy. And of course, uh, Dan Aykroyd, hilarious fantastic. in the movie, and Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. And actually, the butler is fantastic in the movie yeah. as well. Um, okay, now we're hitting into what I would call the golden home stretch okay. of my favorite movies. Actually, I do have a Christmas Carol version on here. Okay, let's Number hear it. four, Scrooge. An excellent movie. Absolutely amazing. And Bill I'm not Murray. even offended that you have it at top four. Because it it, it's should that be good. Top four. Yes, because I, I, I think you got a lot of crap for that. I didn't did. you? I do, and, and then a couple ardent supporters, like people that went to bat for me on Twitter. It's a great and underrated movie. 
it is underrated. Yes. Why? I don't Bill, know why. Everybody loves Bill Murray. Yep. And everybody loves Christmas music, Christmas movies. But this movie somehow somehow flies under the and radar. And it's a classic, and he does a great job in it. I, I mean, and he doesn't even have to carry the movie. Um, uh, hold on one second. I'm trying to look it up. The ghosts are amazing. Um, Karen Allen, you know, the... You know, take it or leave it. But uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, the yes, movie, is hilarious. Yes, yes. But Carol Kane, the ghost of Christmas present, beating the crap out of him with the oh, toaster. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was so good. She is she? absolutely incredible. Oh, man. I mean, just everything. Everything yeah. is great about that movie. Very underrated. Now, so I would then get into the goats here. Okay. okay. Number three, the goat family Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. So that would probably be for Christmas movies. I would say that would be number two for me. Is number two? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, that's permissible. Number two, the goat Christmas comedy, which we've already talked a lot. Christmas vacation, which would be num- number one for me. Okay, Th- that's my one. Then number one. So for actually, me, on the high end of this, we actually bad. agree fairly. Yeah. So the number one Christmas movie, which is just the goat. Period. No strings attached to it. The original Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Well. You know, when I was a kid, I loved it, of course. But I guess I'm not a kid anymore, so <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't I, put it one. I'm still a kid at heart come Christmas time. I guess you are. Uh, having small kids, finally this was the year where my oldest could watch it and really appreciate it. Like, loving it all over again. I mean, it is, it is a good movie. It is. A, I mean... And it was, you know, the stop motion. Oh, it was great. And just that that was cutting edge at the time. Yeah. Know? But it was just it it gives it a quality that that's unique, right? It, is, that, it does give it a quality yeah. that's unique. Um I can't remember how old I was. I'm gonna say something like eight or nine. And uh the babysitter knew, because back in the day, you know, before DVRs and VCRs, uh, that it was coming on at eight o'clock okay. that night. And we got busy, forgot to watch it. Oh. So didn't turn it on till like it was almost over. Wrecked me, man. Freaked out. Just just wrecked <laughs> my life at the time. And and I know who the babysitter is. I still give her crap to this day. To the point almost like five, ten years ago, she's like, You're not gonna give me crap about this so and the Rudolph again, are you? If I'm correct, they just played it once a year. Like it was just one time, right? It wasn't like Correct. they'd play it every day for for you know week leading up to Christmas. You got one shot, Correct. and if you didn't see it, too damn bad. That was it, man. Yeah. Until VCRs were invented, um, the actual stop motion figurines, it, crazy because this would never happen this day and age. It was made. It was made by a um, uh, an eight Japan a Japanese company okay. that made those, and they would bust. All the time they were they were okay. basically even just like we would think they are they were wire inside you know felt or whatever they sure. were made out of whenever they would they would bust they would just toss them gone they, they, they had multiple ones okay. that they did then the, they made the movie and it absolutely hit and it became this gigantic thing I mean sure. it was pretty quick that people loved then it was a classic you know uh, soon after that so then they tried to find these figurines they they could not find them the secretary of the movie company TV station mm-hmm. was given to him like here, put these somewhere. And she's like, you know, I don't think I should throw these away. I should just throw them in my, Oh, no attic. kidding. She got like divorced 
and the the owner of you know the house changed with stuff in the attic. There's a oh, whole no story way. behind it. They couldn't find all the figurines. They found a nice collection of the now, figurines. Now see, there's there's a that's a pleasant surprise. A a, a Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer stop motion fun fact is what we just got right you like there. that right yeah that was pretty good that usually you drop the fun facts for football i was able to drop a few i like her. it so overall in retrospect you only semi disagreed with my list you yeah didn't, actually you now, didn't hate it no i didn't did hate it i didn't hate it i i disagree with the well you know the grinch i'll let that that slide polar express haven't seen it love actually nope um white christmas yeah that's fine Die Bing, hard. I, nope. I know if i said it before bing crosby is Christmas. He is silky smooth in this movie. Another another fun Bing Crosby fact. Back in the day, he would not film a uh, movie or a TV show, whatever he was doing, unless he could fit 18 holes in. He golfed. Oh, really? Every, every day. No kidding. Yep. Bing was a golfer. Oh, Bing was a big golfer. Okay. Bing's, wow. the, man. Bing's the man. And then, you know, I disagree with your number one, but then it, towards the top there, yeah, pretty solid. More than anything, I'm happy that you, you really – get the greatness of Scrooge. Absolutely. Because I don't think I can be friends with somebody. And that... I never saw the movie initially. I didn't see it till years later and was just shocked at how good it was. Incredible. Because, it, you know, it didn't get enough pubs, so I never felt like I had to see it. Right. I w- when, the, uh, when his version of Marley comes back, it's his old boss. Okay. He was like, I was adored by women and feared by men. And, and he, Frank Cross goes, Adored. You paid for the women, Lou. <laughs> Gets me every time. All right, so that'll get us through That's the opening good. Christmas version. Let's go into some Big Ten football housekeeping items. Housekeeping. No, thank you. Sleeping. Housekeeping. Okay, Indiana Athletic Director Fred Glass announces he will be retiring. At the end of this academic year, he was hired in 2009, hired such coaches as Kevin Wilson in football, Tommy Allen, the current head coach, Archie Miller in basketball, also fired Bill Lynch, by the way, in 2010. I liked Bill. What would you think of Bill? Uh, I mean, it I wasn't a him. surprise to see Bill Lynch get fired. but I know, but yeah. I thought he was doing a solid job. Right. Anyway, uh, if you poll IU fans, the one thing that seems to be universal is that he did an awesome job improving facilities on campus. So renovation of Memorial Stadium, renovation of Assembly Hall, and sounds like most uh, athletic programs got new facilities or renovated facilities under his watch. So that's the one thing that he's leaving IU with. Uh, Let's see, we got a little personnel info here. Michigan wide receiver Tariq Black has entered the transfer portal. That's a big one, man. That's so a- I, I asked uh, Ant Wright, my uh, oh, Michigan yeah. buddy, what his thoughts were. The general consensus for him, and I think uh, Michigan football fans in general, was he was checked out. He had been checked yeah. out. Uh, I, I didn't see any vitriol go his way from Michigan fans, just more like an amicable split. He needs a change of scenery type of deal. Sometimes divorce is good. Now he he's a top 200 recruit formerly has battled injuries his whole career. So that's another reason that maybe they're not too sad to see him go. Don't right. you think? Yep. Okay. Minnesota linebacker Kamal Martin will bypass the Outback Bowl to prepare for the NFL draft. Purdue quarterback Elijah Sindelar will retire from football. He had one season of eligibility left. That was, it was actually going to be his sixth year, but he has decided to forego that year. Another guy who's just battled 
constant yeah. in nagging injuries his entire career. And I tell you what, um, our Indiana insiders, our boy Alex, one of them, yep. called it, uh, or not, excuse me, not uh, Alex, a um, couple of our Purdue in, uh, insiders, excuse me, um, horrible mistake there. Uh, pretty much people already were thinking beginning of the year. Yeah. Listen, this is going to be Elijah's last year. Yeah. He's, he's, he, cause he's I'm, I made a joke, kind of a joke tweet earlier. Is he going to apply for a seventh year? Cause he only played a couple games and I can't remember who it was. Uh, boiler, Boilermakers forever. I think replied and said, that guy's never going to be healthy. He ain't never playing again. And not to speculate, but my guess is it was a group decision along with Jeff Brown. Like, you can't plan your future out with that. Like at some point you got to turn the page. If you knew, you know, in some way you could uh, guarantee that he wasn't getting hurt. It's one thing. Sure. You can't. And that's, no. that's the reality of it. And I guess he's probably just had enough of the injuries. Yep. Okay. Ohio state defensive coordinator, Jeff Halfley did such a great uh, job this year has, will be leaving to take the head coaching job at Boston college, Minnesota defensive line coach, Jim Panagos has left for the same position at Rutgers. He'll be working for Shiano. So this was interesting. They had Minnesota had a big defensive end recruit on campus for a, an official visit this past weekend. He found out during his visit that the defensive line was uh, line coach was leaving. It sounded like he's going to commit to Rutgers. Everyone was expecting him to commit to Minnesota last weekend. So he left without committing, and it sounded like he might be going to Rutgers. His name is Wes Bailey. Pretty solid recruit. That'll be interesting to watch. I mean, when you are getting recruited, certainly the feel of the program and the head coach matters, duh, facilities, stuff like that. But you're going to spend a lot of times with your position coach on your recruiting visit, official visits, you know, just just going there for a half day. It's a big deal. I I would feel like... The, the, just the overall feel of the program is probably the most important. Just like, do you get a f- good feel from the other players, stuff like that? Are you are you hitting it off with the other players? But after that, I would think your position coach is Huge. probably the next most important thing. Yep, for sure. Another thing I want to point out with uh, Ohio State defensive quarter Jeff Halfley, he is going to continue to coach the Buckeye defense through the college football playoffs. That's good to hear. All right, this one was interesting. Saw a tweet from Chris Carr. Chris Carr is the sports editor for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. He tweeted over this past weekend four different photos, and he wanted he wanted everyone to vote. What what's the best photo of of the, from the Star Tribune this year? One of the photos were was Wisconsin players celebrating with Paul Bunyan's axe. Keep in mind, this is the Minneapolis Star Tribune, so there was instant backlash against this guy, violent backlash, and it was absolutely warranted. And by the way, Chris Carr. He's a Wisconsin alum, apparently. So is he just trolling? I think he's just trolling. So, so the Strib, as it's called here locally, uh, was already disliked by Gopher fans. But sure. This just threw gas on the fire. Um, sometimes, And you then really... he uh, had an apology tweet, which seemed totally BS to Oh, the, the apology tweet was like, I could... I could hear him snickering as I was reading yeah, the apology tweet. Absolutely. Um, I don't know how you expect Gopher fans to react, but that's the appropriate. Who, what fan base put in that situation? Oh my god, would not react like that. I mean, that's every single fan. I'm base actually would. proud of the way they reacted. Like you can understand it more if it was like the uh, Des Moines Register, because Iowa and Iowa State yeah. share the the newspaper. You know, sure. For lack of way, but but. The newspaper in Madison, a newspaper in Minnesota or Lincoln, you're not, you just don't do that. No, no. Which is, I think, crazy. And I, I, you know, by the way, one of my favorite reaction tweets was 
I wish I hadn't already canceled my Strib uh, uh, subscription so I could cancel, so it, cancel again. it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure he's just fishing for tweets or likes, right? I don't know. I don't know what the thought process likes, is. dislikes, whatever. He's he's just looking so for click interaction. Is basically click what bait. you get. No, yes. Um. Uh. I. I don't know what the. I look at Sports Illustrated. Okay. As as I'm I'm. They seem to be alienating their readers the, yeah. with some of the crap they put in there. Yep. Um. But maybe the thought process is we need to go out and get new people sure something along the lines of that with this i don't i just, I just don't, don't see get... the how how you end how this ends up being a positive for them i mean you're just gonna turn gopher fans further away from that publication don't you want local i would think so eh, it doesn't make any sense to me. okay let's move on an indiana student and theta chi frat brother named jake herman tweeted an invite to tom allen to attend his team's flag football game and i'm going to open up right now and read jake's tweet and, of course, you'll be surprised that Jake's from Chicago. Hey, at Coach Allen IU, we have an intramural flag football championship game this Friday at 530 at the RSFC Fields. Just like you, we have turned our football program around. And as a big Tom Allen house, we would love if you'd come watch us uh, Theta Chi men play. Hashtag Leo. Of course, that's, that's Tommy's hashtag, which stands for love each other. Did you know that? I did not. Fun fact to know and tell. So do the hashtag Leo. And so Tom Allen tweets back, I'll be there. And he showed up to their game. So I tell you what, um, every one of those guys in that photo, there had to have been, I don't know, 30, 40 guys in the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys better show up to every Indiana home game next year. And I would think this would just another thing. It's a it's it's good politicking, but not, you know, th- that word can sometimes have negative connotations. This is very positive in this situation. Yep. The whole student body should be charged up that much more to show up for Indiana. Absolutely. And and John Blau from the Bloomington Herald Times even quoted Tommy Allen as saying, this is our student body. They support us. They come watch us play and cheer us on. So he wanted to go and do the same for them. But, yes, I agree. Show up to the games, IU fans. Show up. Um, I don't know if you have this on here, but one thing I pointed out for um, a housekeeping item, uh, over the weekend there was a big – Sophie or uh, trophy ceremony, the Heisman Trophy was presented. Um, obviously, Joe Burrell with uh, LSU won it, but he has Ohio State ties. Mm-hmm. So, um, something crazy though, when they showed this guy, his name is Justin Fields. Yeah. And they showed him on ESPN, still had the Georgia. How logo. can they make that mistake? That's not a mistake, is it? Like, I feel like just since we've been recording this podcast, okay, so two football seasons, a little bit more, um, we could have started writing, making a list of embarrassing things that ESPN has tweeted out or put as a, you know, on, actually you would see on the TV screen, some sort of, how many times can this happen with stuff like this? I just don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it is either. No, but why would they do that? I don't just... It's just a big troll network. Yeah. I really, I mean, it's either they're buffoons or it's a troll network. And yeah, it might be both. It, yeah, it could be both. There's a little Chris Carr action going on, I think. The, right. The, the Strib guy. Um, Justin Fields, third. Chase Young, fourth. Jonathan Taylor, fifth. J.K. Dobbins, sixth. A full four out of the top six Big Ten players. And wow. five out of the top six have... Big, Big Ten, Ten ties. ties. That's so, impressive. That's pretty good. Wow. For a conference that, you know, 
is a step behind in speed or whatever the crap idiots from the south said. Matt, if you if you listen to our Big Ten speed episode, we did we did bust that myth up. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. So that gets us through housekeeping. Yep. All right. So another special guest on the Eyes on Big podcast. We got Brett Ciancia with Pick Six Previews. If you're not following Pick Six Previews on Twitter and subscribe to their uh, uh, yearly um, uh, publication. You're not doing yourself a favor as a college football fan. You're basically doing it wrong. You are doing it wrong. Brett, great to have you on. How you doing, brother? Yeah, thanks, Jeffrey and Big Kurt for having me back on the uh, the Eyes on Big. Um, I'm excited to, to be back on here. It's been a heck of a season, uh, you know, in, in college football in general, uh, for Pick 6 previews, for Eyes on Big. So a lot to celebrate here, a lot to talk about, and uh, and excited to talk about the uh, the entire Big Ten season, too. And it is awesome to have you on. Uh, we got a couple topics to hit. So first one up, I know this is not technically uh, Big Ten football related, but we're all college football fans at heart. And you got to take in the Army-Navy game that just happened three days ago. Uh, never been myself. Everybody puts it on the bucket list. Tell us tell us what you learned, what, what your thoughts were being at the Army-Navy game. Yeah, for sure. And uh, w- w- before we get to that real quick, I uh, just want to plug your guys' podcast. Obviously, uh, you know, when I'm covering 65 teams across the nation and doing detailed write-ups uh, during the offseason, I go back and really try and find one or two podcasts per conference and, and per team. Uh, the Big Ten, this, this, this one covers it all. I mean, you guys do a great job focusing on all 14 teams. Uh, it's fun banter back and forth. It's stats, uh, good, smart opinions, you know. Uh, and yeah, it's just an easy, easy listen. So, I mean, I'm going to put this out on my Twitter as well, but just a suggestion to all Big Ten and just general college football fans to tune in. And uh, in the off seasons, when I really catch up and go back, uh, you know, when the season's in, you know, when the season's in motion, it's like everything's moving 100 miles a minute. So you try and absorb as much as you can. But uh, now that it's the off season, this is when I really, you know, hunker down and go back and re-listen and rewatch everything and and really uh, start to build up the 2020 book. So, congrats what you guys have built and continued this year. And um, excited to, to to catch up on everything. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, of course. And uh, so, yeah, with Army-Navy, uh, this was a pretty cool experience, obviously. Uh, it was actually my third time going up, so I'm based out of Philadelphia, and uh, usually the game is, the Army-Navy game is hosted here. I think it's 80% of the years it's hosted here. Uh, I went up one time when I was little with my old man. Uh, a couple years ago, I went in the snow. Um, one of my close buddies actually uh, enlisted in the Navy, and uh, we went back up to that. So, the snow game two years ago was, it was incredible as a fan and tailgate perspective. Uh, they do it right up there. I mean, it's kind of you donate, you put a you know twenty dollar, fifty dollar bill in, and then you get all you know food and drink. And tell you what, they love to party for that one. All the, all the army, all the navy people, the alumni, everything. So, but uh, anyways, this year was a little bit different. Um, I applied and got the media credentials, so uh, it was a whole different experience. I went in way early. Um, I got to see uh, the uh, the Army and the Navy both march on. That's a, a tradition they do a couple hours before kickoff, um, where you know each battalion and regiment, you know every student of the whole student body marches in together in unison. Uh, I mean, it takes about an hour, but it's pretty cool. They announce each one. Um, that was during the pregame. This is also cool too. They they gave you uh, press box access and field access. So before the game, I was down on the field, and and for me being an Eagles fan. Uh, 
you know, we have season tickets. We've had them in the family since the 40s, actually, for the Philadelphia Eagles. So being on that turf finally and that grass finally was a, was really, you know, a really rewarding experience in itself. But, uh, yeah, you take in all the pageantry of Army-Navy. Um, you know, the cadets and the midshipmen take up half the, the lower bowl there, uh, the, the two sections. Just the energy and just the passion. And, um, yeah, it, it's definitely a bucket list item. You guys are right. And, um, and yeah, so I definitely recommend coming out to it. Um, as far as college football rivalries are concerned, um, uh, Michigan, Ohio state, you know, Auburn, Alabama, you can get down to even smaller rivalry rivalries, Virginia, Virginia tech, whatever. You're definitely going to have, uh, a certain vitriol that's going to be felt by the rival fan bases. Do you get that with army Navy or does it have a certain different feel to it? Yeah, it definitely does have its own feel. It kind of transcends rivalry. It's it's incredible. I mean, uh, for both you know programs and fan bases and everything, it's it's their only goal of the year really is just to win this one day. Um, but it's not a uh, it's not an antagonistic kind of thing that you'd see on Twitter, like you know some of the Twitter rivalries and some bitter comments and uh, stuff you see in the NFL. It's not like that. It's it's definitely one of respect. Um, you know, they're able to look each other in their eye. Yeah, they want to beat you for these four quarters, but it's such a, a level of respect knowing that the other 364 days of the year, I mean, they're, they're ready to lay their li- their lives on the line, you know. So uh, it just transcends uh, football even. It's just like a, a big American uh, tradition. It's hard to put into words, but it just definitely has its own feel. And I've been across the Big Ten to, to major stadiums, ACC, Pac-12, and seen some rival games up close. But this one just kind of is, is bigger than football. It's kind of just like uh, – like July 4th combined with, I don't know, with, with college football. It's it's definitely something that I, I think that everyone should see. And on top of that, the brand of football itself, I really love the, you know, the, the power football, the smash mouth football, um, option ball. I mean, every single yard and every single inch is a battle. Uh, no pun intended. I mean, it's just a, it's a grind. And, uh, and you know, they, they hit each other every, as hard as they can every play. They get up. There's no taunting. There's no, you know, showing off or celebration penalties they hand the ball to the ref they they pick their teammates up they do it again for you know 60 minutes so uh just incredible all around it's just as uh it's like bigger than football i think my favorite part of this year's contest was the navy stat line if you look down the quarterback malcolm perry had (laughs) zero attempts passing uh there was one attempt by navy by a wide receiver for a touchdown and Perry had over 300 yards rushing. I don't know what their team total was, but it's just a thing of beauty to look at that that box score for Navy. Oh, absolutely. And just the the way that those offenses run. I mean, most plays are, you know, a yard or two or three. When they when either team starts to crease the other defense, it's such a loud roar in that lower bowl when uh, you know, half the stadium's going wild. I mean, it's like different when you're watching a Big 12 game and you barely clap on touchdowns cuz you think it's just a shootout, but uh, every yard, like I said, is earned and and celebrated. So definitely, uh, yeah, it reminds me of the old stat where in 2017 Army, uh, they won 10 games. They completed 20 passes in the whole season. So kind of sums it up. Uh, another thing I, I uh, you know, I had actually never um, been, uh, you know, had never had game uh, press box and game uh what I'm saying, uh, field pass access. So I had both options there. Uh, pre-game, I went on the field, and I, I kind of underrated this, the amount of networking that would be going on. I mean, there were so many big names. With it being the only game, the only college football game this entire weekend, uh, pretty much everyone was there. ESPN had their staff there because they had game day uh, on site. CBS was covering it, so you had all those guys. And then just every, you know, just random football guys were around. Like, uh, I actually met Urban Meyer on the sideline, uh, took a took a pick with him, congratulated him on his success. 
I uh, didn't want to bother him though, though. Um, and then other guys, uh, I got to meet Herb Street, which is really cool. Um, and you know, so much respect for that guy. I mean, um, I saw him. So at halftime, uh, there were some red shirt players, or I don't know how the the armed forces do it, but there were you could tell they were kind of reserve players. They uh, he he waited about ten minutes and said hi to every single one of them. They all wanted a, a photo with them. He stopped and talked to all of them. So uh, really cool. And then uh, after that, I actually talked to him for a while. Um, you know, just not, not to go off on a tangent, but he, he's followed me for a few years on Twitter. Uh, and this year being my first book that I put out for sale, I, I sent him a free copy and, you know, he got back to me with some compliments and stuff like that. So it was cool to meet in person and he was, you know, reiterating that kind of thing and just saying, uh, you know, it was the perfect book for, what do you say, like the perfect book for the college football degenerate or something like the, like the, uh, the, the 14-hour Saturday guys like us. So, um, yeah, cool, really cool to meet him. Just, uh, you know, I, I can't uh, stress that enough how great a guy he was, not just to me, but to, uh, you know, all the armed forces there and easy to talk to. So, uh, yeah, not to drone on. So they were there. The CBS crew was there. Guys like New Heisel and Adam Zucker got to meet those guys. Uh, so really just the, the networking side of it, I didn't really, uh, I, I definitely underestimated. But with it being the only game in town, it was a lot of that going on. Well, if we're playing college football poker and somebody bets a Kirk Herbstreet, I'm going to raise them a Brett Ciancia. That's all I got to say about that. There you go. Thank you. That's good praise there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, yeah, it was awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, the CBS guys, I was just kind of uh, letting them know about the book. Um, but, yeah, Herbie, with him having read the book prior and, you know, and giving some compliments there and going back and forth, he was saying he's got to get the bear a copy of Chris Falica. So uh, that was cool. But, uh, you know, uh, the press box, it's night and day, uh, especially this game, because on the field you really feel that energy. Uh, you, you can hear the roar of the crowd. But up in the press box, it's kind of sterile. You know, it's, it's a work environment. Uh, you can't really clap or cheer, obviously, and, and you can barely even talk, really, for that matter. So I, uh, I did a quarter or two up there, and then the second half I was like, I got I to get back on that field and just feel it. So, um, yeah, it was cool to see both sides of it, though. Uh, speaking of the f- the field and just – you know, the crowd in itself, maybe this is somewhat of a silly question, but whenever they show the crowd, they just show, you know, either the, the army cadets or Navy, um, how much of the crowd is, is not in uniform, you know, is just a, a general fit. Maybe they're ex army or Navy, but do you, do you get a sense of that? Yeah. I mean, the parts that they show on camera really are the, uh, the two student sections, the two current student bodies, uh, and they're, uh, kind of in the corner end zones. Uh, the rest of the stadium really is just either general admission, um, army, you know, families, probably parents of, uh, the players or parents of, uh, the armed forces there, maybe some ex-military, like you said, and you don't see as many uniforms, it's not as, uh, at, not as clustered as you see, obviously in the student section. So, um, yeah, it's still, it's still a tough ticket to get. Um, you know, even being a local Philadelphia guy, it was still hard. There's a couple years to find a ticket. Um, uh, it was actually through, uh, like I said, my buddy was in the, he played for the Navy, went into the Navy and, uh, ended up getting an alumni kind of connection there the one year um, during the snow game 2017. But yeah, it's a good mix. And, uh, I was trying to notice too, cause you know, the red river rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas, where it's split 50, 50, I was trying to gauge that on, you know, on big Navy runs, try and see what kind of percent the crowd was. I think it's pretty much 50, 50. Um, it's not as cut and dry down the middle, like you see in that rivalry game, but, uh, it was good representation of both. The point, the reason they have it in Philly is because it's kind of the halfway point between army, uh, West point and, uh, Annapolis and Navy. Um, and they kind of rotate a couple years. They'll get one in Meadowlands and a couple years down at, uh, Baltimore. It's more closer to Annapolis, but for the most part and throughout its history, it's been based in Philly. 
So I'm a big fan of uniforms, and uni watchers oh, such as myself look forward to this game every year. It's always one of the best uniform matchups, and I got to say, both uniforms were popping on this particular year. I, I oh, agree, yeah. but but uh, Navy's wasn't it, or is it a, who who had the the green? The, so that was Army. Army. Yeah, basically like the the ODs. Um, with their names on the front, it looked awesome. But I thought the the throwback Staubach era Navy were fantastic too. I don't like what they did with their helmet necessarily. They kind of made it look like it was worn like artificially. But other mm-hmm. than that, fantastic uniform mashup. It looked beautiful. Oh yeah, they 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 do that most years. It's really cool. I mean, I think the one year Navy did hand painted helmets of different carrier, you know. Uh, ships and everything and naval fleets. I mean, they, they really go all out with the detail. It's it's pretty incredible. Uh, one thing you probably won't see on TV also, kind of to give you more of the behind the scenes, is um, every commercial break, they uh, they do these, they're called spirit videos or spirit messages where uh, current armed forces from abroad or wherever they're stationed send back kind of a hype video for their certain side, whether it be the Army, the Navy, and uh, that always gets a roar every time one of theirs is played. And uh, some of them are kind of prank, like, you know, jokey related and some are serious. So just really cool. It's just nonstop. There's always something going on. Um, uh, and the other thing, I don't know if they showed was the flyover was, it was incredible. They brought these helicopters, like, five, yeah. yeah, yeah, five huge helicopters in, uh, they were supposed to do jets too, but I think it was too foggy at kickoff. So, but yeah, just all that kind of stuff, picture that and walking through the tailgate lots, like there's just random tanks here and there, like, um, it was. It's really cool. It's. It's. I, I agree with you how you worded it. That it's definitely a bucket list item for the for the college football fan. And yeah. and honestly, just for any American, really. I mean, it like I said, it transcends football. You don't have to be a football guy to appreciate the the history and the legacy and the and what it really represents. So. Yeah. So it's been on my bucket list since I've been a kid, and I think next year might be the year for me. So if I go, we'll have to meet up and and have a pregame beer. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And the other thing is pregame, they have college game day. It comes in every year. So uh, weather was pretty rough. I was able to check out a little bit of that. But if you've never been to a game day set also, that's kind of one way to kind of guarantee you'll get a game day. So because they're always here for Army Navy. So yeah, absolutely. You guys come out. uh, Let me know. I can even work on some uh, some sideline passes, see what we can do, you know. Um, But uh, no, either way, I mean, it'd be a cool cool time you guys came out. Mark the tape here. Yeah. I heard, I heard Brett say it. <laughs> well, pick a, pick a year where the Eagles are in town, too. You can double dip, you know? Yeah, I might pass on that part, but oh. I appreciate I appreciate it either. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, hey, Brett, thanks a lot for sharing that part with us. And, you know, when you were talking about the credentials, uh, meeting Herbie and a couple guys, I think that leads right into our second topic here, which is also very exciting. For those of you who don't know, Brett and Pick 6 previews because of their success – Brett got a Heisman vote this year. Um, very interested to hear how this process uh, goes down, how you were contacted, all that stuff. I, start from the beginning. Brag brag yourself up. You, We are giving you permission here on the Eyes on Big Podcast to brag yourself up. Go for it. Tell us how, tell us how that went down, Brett. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. Uh, it, it's been a it's been a very exciting year and season here. So I guess the, the quick background on Pick Six Previews and myself is uh you know back in 2012 we launched this you know college football preview site where we did write ups uh, and over those seven those last seven years our predictions have been graded the most accurate in America in terms of the Power Five conferences 
Uh, and it's not just us saying it. It's a you know a guy that's been grading these publications for 30-something years, Chris Stassen. Uh, he does the Stassen accuracy rating. So when you look at the, the Power Five leagues, we're number one. We're you know, beating all the ones on newsstands, uh, all magazines, newspapers, everything. So that was kind of the first claim to fame. Uh, then this season, I really you know upped it a notch. I, I put out a full book. I covered all 65 teams, uh, made uh, you know all my advanced stats, but also put it into a very readable form. Um, and what went what went into that was over a thousand hours of my time. It was you know studying film, uh, spring games. I'm watching every damn spring game, uh, calling coaches, calling coordinators, listening into local shows and podcasts, kind of like yours. Um, trying to get right to the root of the source because a lot of times some of these national guys might keep it too national and too too broad. And so I, I want to dig into the roots, get the real detail. Um, I developed my game grader formula for more of an analytical look at it. Uh, but like I said, the key being that rather than just reading about you know Iowa is point one two five four in X category, putting it back into a readable format. You know what do these numbers actually mean? What are they telling us? What can we gain from it? So. I have the numbers there, but I also put it into a very readable format and some nice graphics. But anyways, long story short, the, the book started to take off. Um, I did about 50 radio shows and from mid-July till the season kickoff. I mean, it was it was all over the place. Podcasts, radios, even some TV spots were really cool there on NBC Sports. Um, and fast forward about a month into the season, I started just sending the book around. I mean... Uh, you know, to some of the bigger media folks that may not have uh, seen it on Twitter or bought it or whatever, just to, you know, uh, reach out, introduce myself, show my work. Uh, and I ended up sending it to a couple of the guys in PA. Uh, little did I know that one of them that I contacted uh, was the PA Heisman Trust, uh, Heisman Trophy Trust representative. So how the Heisman works is there are, I think, 800 uh, media members have votes across the country. And that 800 is broken in, into five or six regions. So you have like, uh, you know, Mid-Atlantic, the Far West, the Midwest, the South. Um, and then to dig deeper, it's per state. So and it's based off the number of FBS teams you have in your state. So for me, Pennsylvania, we had Temple, Pitt, and Penn State. I don't know how the numbers work on that, but we ended up with about 20 PA votes on the Heisman. Uh, and usually you're, you're a Heisman voter for life uh, in, until you stop uh, actively covering the sport. So it just so happened uh, this guy and sorry, uh, each state has a state rep that's in charge of who votes within that state. Um, so one of the guys that I contacted locally ended up being that guy for PA. Little did I know uh, he invited me, you know, he called me up and he said he was pretty blown away by the book if he wanted to meet and talk. So I uh, went and we met. Uh, we talked just kind of like kind of like we do here on the show, just talk Big Ten football and, and national football for it seemed like two or three hours, just, you know, old stories, new stories. Um yeah, and so then did, he was flipping. He if was I could interrupt you the, real quick, did you get yeah. a, did you get a sense that that was essentially an interview? He wanted. I mean, he had to have gotten a sense that you know college football, but did he want to get a sense of just how much you knew, like history and everything? Well, I think that's that's part of the funny thing going into it. I didn't know that he was the Heisman rep, and uh, and I don't think that either of us really viewed it as an interview. But kind of as it started to unfold, I think we both kind of. So I, I brought him a hard copy of the book. So he was flipping through it and he was looking at all the graphics and all the, you know, the level of detail. And he starts asking me, he's like, man, like how many writers and, and designers do you have on this thing? Like how many editors, you know, how many people are we talking here? I was like, no, nah, it's just me. He's like, what, what do you mean? It's just you. Like, do you have any like uh, designers or social media team? I was like, no, it's, it's, it's just me. So I think that just blew him out of the water. And then from that point on, it, it did become kind of an interview. And uh, I could kind of sense that too. He's kind of like really digging in like, Hey, what do you think about Minnesota's uh, O line or like what, yeah Minnesota's defense? And then like another random team trying to quiz me a little bit and um, yeah, I mean and and old stuff too, like just talking old Penn State stuff or 
Uh, somehow it transitioned in the old Nebraska team. So, and uh, yeah, so it kind of like turned into a kind of a football interview, if you will. And then uh, I must have I must have hit it out of the park because at the end he kind of was like, uh, you know, do you have any uh, do you vote on any postseason awards? And I was like, yeah, actually, yeah, you know, the Outland, the Nagurski, the Blitnikoff. Um, he's like, well, do you have any interest in voting on the Heisman? And I, I mean, <laughs> I just like I, I must have had a crazy reaction. I don't know. I just right away I was like, oh my god, of course. Like, how does that even happen? He's like, well, I'm in charge of who votes. You're, you're a voter. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, just an incredible moment there. Well, and that's awesome. uh, yeah. yeah. You, you struck gold there, uh, a little bit lucky, but obviously you earned it too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and uh, kind of the, so for some more background on Heisman voters in general, I think uh, the the vast majority of them are beat writers for a local team or a certain team, uh, maybe a conference beat like Big Ten in general. But, you know, so if you picture PA on the map, right, We like I said, we have Pitt, Penn State, and Temple. So I think the majority of the guys are very excellent at what they do covering one team and may not be uh, you know, as in tune with the other leagues across the country. And, you know, so this is another funny thing he did. He asked me right away, he's like, what's your average college football Saturday look like? And I was like, well, you really want to know? Okay. Like, um, I get up at nine, I throw game day on, I kind of get ready, get all my, you know, my picks in line. And, but, um, right at noon, I have my, my four TVs lined up. I have four games going currently, you know, for all the way till two in the morning, I wrap up with the Pac-12, and he's like, "So you do 14 hours of four screens of college football?" I was like, "Yep." And I got my two phones set up too for stats. I got Twitter rolling, so he was just blown away. Um, and I think that kind of got him started to think because, like I said, most Heisman voters are excellent at, at their beat, you know. So to get a national perspective, and he kind of tested me to see my level of detail because I think anyone can talk Clemson and Bama and Ohio State, but to really know and really be in the weeds about Indiana's you know, offensive efficiency or about Minnesota's, uh, their defense under Joe Rossi or just any little detail he was trying to quiz me on. I was just acing it. So anyways, long story short, I think he wanted to bring more of a national feel to one of his, one of his ballots, uh, within the state. So, uh, definitely the ultimate honor. I mean, I, I was blown away, you know, called my grandfather right away and stuff like that, you know? So, um, it was an all time moment and, uh, and it's, I'm not taking it lightly either. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate honor and I, I understand that. So it's been, uh, it's been incredible. Brett, can you describe the voting process? Like, what what happens? How do you vote? Is it is it a physical uh, ballot? Is it electronic? Yeah. So this is one thing I, I was kind of bummed out about. Actually, I thought it'd be a you know an old fashioned big paper ballot that you could frame or whatever and really fill out. But uh, it's it's electronic. Um, but I will tell you this: it's the most secure thing I've ever logged into. It's like uh, multi factor passwords, like three passwords. Then at the last stage, they call you to confirm your identity and to log in. It's uh, it's all just super locked down. And so once you get in, uh, you know, it welcomes you and everything. And then it's basically a blank ballot. It's lines one, two, and three. Uh, there's no drop down menu. There's no pre-selected candidates, really. It's really a blank ballot. And uh, so, I mean, that, that's that's good and bad. I think it eliminates some of the regional bias, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was still a tough task to have to try and limit it to three because when you're watching so many teams and you're in tune with it all, I mean, there's so many incredible individual performances and um, yeah, so it's just, it's three lines and, uh, you, you put it in there and you submit it and then, uh, the Heisman Trophy Trust tabulates it. Um, and then, uh, that's, so another thing with the, the amount of seats at New York, it's broken down where there's a big gap in the total. So it's kind of a misconception where people think, oh, those are the only four candidates you could have voted for uh, blank ballot. The results come in and they determine the seats in New York based off where there's a gap. So there must've been a gap after Chase Young here and fourth this year. Uh, that's why they determined there's four seats. So, yeah, that, that's the process. So then what specific instructions do they give you? Like, Does it say, please vote for the most outstanding college football player? 
Yeah, that's the phrasing. That's that's technically what the Heisman Trophy is for. It's for the most outstanding player in America. Um, and there are, you know, when you're looking at the details of the award, there are things in there about, you know, integrity and must be a, a legal NCAA athlete, um, you know, all the other criteria like that. And I, I think that back in the day, they used to hold a lot bigger weight. I think that that went in a lot more um, in the in the minds of the voters. I mean, obviously, I'll consider that too. Uh, but I think just generally, as the generations went on, I think that part of it went away. That it used to be, if you were if you were tied between a couple of candidates, like you'd really look towards that integrity and the whole student athlete thing and the off the field stuff. But um, I guess nowadays we're not as in tune with what goes on off the field. But uh, you know, I still try and value that. Um, there was a lot of debate on Twitter from a certain other um, uh, Heisman voter where he said, "Hey, other Heisman voters." wait till after the conference championships to cast your vote for the Heisman. And then he actually got attacked for it, which I didn't understand. I mean, I totally get that. Um, do you, I guess two questions. Number one, do you have the option to vote either before or after the conference championships? And second question, did you vote before or after the conference championships? No, absolutely not. I mean, that's, that's always been one of my biggest pet peeves. I mean, because, you know, it's such a short season. There's 12 games, maybe a 13th there for some of the candidates. How could you ever ignore, the uh, you know, arguably the biggest data point out of those 12 or 13 games? So um, I was always against that. I waited till the last second, really. I, you know, I watched all the highlights I could. I looked at all the stats again and really just slept on it a few nights and then put it in on that Monday after the title games. Um, yeah, you do get the ballot before the, the conference championship game. Maybe that's an old-fashioned type thing where, hey, the regular season ends, ballots are released. I don't know why that is, but um, I think the stat is 8 to 10% of voters submit it before the title game. So the vast majority do wait it out and, and really do their due diligence on it. And that's not to say that the others aren't doing due diligence, but um, they're not. They're ignoring the thirteenth data point, though. So, uh, yeah, I think it's ninety percent that that wait. I've just always wondered if those guys, uh, yeah. if those guys believe the it should be awarded to the regular season because they're old school and they believe conference championships are somewhat recent and hokey, and that's why they don't want to, you know, have that as a data point for themselves. That's the only thing I can ever think of. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess I just view it as another, uh, you know, another data point, and how can you ignore it if it's happening? You know, it's part of the season. Um, yeah, so I never understood that, and I'm, I'm not going to fall into that trap, obviously. All right, Brett, so one of the most controversial things about the Heisman Trophy, I think, is that everyone has their own definition of most outstanding. Uh, it could be, like, the player that someone thinks is more valuable to a team. It could be the one with the best stats. It could be the best physical athlete. So what criteria did you use to, to uh, rank your your votes? Yeah, I mean, uh, just just as nebulous as their title is, I, I don't think I had an exact formula for mine either. I mean, it's kind of you take into all those things into account, uh, the stats, the, the big wins, uh, their role w- within the team, uh, you know, how much value they have to their own team, um, you know, how they shine on the sport's biggest stage. I think to me that's kind of what it is. I mean, um, when you look back, say 10 years from now, you look back on 2019, you want to you want to remember your Heisman being a you know a major factor of what went down that year and uh, whether that means you know w- beating Alabama or whether that means you know right you know leading a team undefeated or whether it means putting up insane stats you know all those hold weight and I think you got to just strike your own balance and and figure that out so um, yeah I, I I really really struggled with this year's I had my clear winner 
But two and three were pretty tough for me because, like I said, I could have listed off another 20 or 30 guys that, that you could sneak in there uh, to get consideration. So um, one thing I did try and do, I, I know some voters view it as a career award, you know, maybe the culmination of three or four solid seasons, but I tried to view it as within the context of, hey, this is 2019. These are the 12 or 13 games we had of each candidate. Uh, who was the most outstanding this year. So that might go into some people's ballots when you, when you see, especially with the, the rushing champ. It seems like every time a, a running back breaks the all-time rushing record, automatically he gets the Heisman, right? Because um, that's kind of the old career achievement thing. But I really, I really try and go on just this year. So speaking of uh, um, votes and, and whoever, you know, your top three or anybody's top three is, Obviously, we know that your vote is cast before the long before the ter- the television uh, ceremony. Um, I know you said you waited till the last minute, so you are sworn to secrecy from the time you vote until the uh, results come out. Then, I believe how it is stated, uh, a Heisman voter can release their their what they did for their voting. I mean, I see it on Twitter all the time, but I'm interested in that that in between time. From when you vote to when the results come out, do they essentially threaten your kneecaps if you <laughs> if you say your votes or what? How was it? You know, explain to you on how secret that must be that you got that you have to keep it. Yeah, that's pretty much a lockdown rule. I mean, uh, they made you made you sign a uh, I guess it's called a non disclosure an NDA type thing, and they basically said uh, if you know if you do reveal this before the announcement, I mean, you threaten the loss of your vote, which, I mean, that's the ultimate penalty. I mean, it, you got to be able to hold your mouth shut for a couple of days, right? I mean, if you can't even do that, uh, it's a red flag to them. So, yeah, they, they did threaten. I mean, if you, if you if you reveal that early, they said you could lose your, your ballot for life, that kind of stuff. And, yeah, you're kind of sworn into it, if you will, for those. But it's only six days. I, I think most people were okay with it. I think... I would just tell some a complete stranger in a restroom somewhere, <laughs> like off a truck stop. I would have to tell just one person what my votes. Are. I don't think I could keep it to myself. Yeah, no, it was tough. I mean, um, but right as it happened, I started all the text started flowing in because I kind of made it known I'm not going to tell anyone really. Um, but uh, but yeah, I told some close friends and family obviously after because uh, it was it was a big deal the first ballot coming in and. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a big deal, but I think, uh, my stance on it with Twitter and everything, I don't think I'll be releasing it. Um, just, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a personal thing. It's, uh, like I said, there is no formula, so you could kind of prove anyone wrong or right. Uh, and I just know with Twitter, they'll try and make everyone wrong. So whatever I put out there will be ridiculed and, uh, I'd rather keep it personal. I, you know, some of the candidates follow me and stuff like that. So, uh, I just, I I'll just keep it to myself there. And, uh, but just know that I put in, you know, every minute and every hour into this thing. So I think people would be confident with what I did. So I don't uh, blame you. So Brett, um, let's go back in history. Can you maybe come up with a time in the past when you were the most proud of Heisman voters for getting it right? And maybe a time when you thought someone got robbed? Well, definitely, we'll start with the second one. Uh, getting getting robbed, I really think in 2009, Dom can sue. Uh, that that is one I just still can't get over because, and even this year, so Chase Young was getting a lot of hype, and rightfully so. He's a you know the best defender in America, uh, and I really dug into it. I looked at his stats compared to what Sue put out, uh, and tried to put it in the context too of his surrounding team and what kind of you know what kind of overall team they had around him. You got to remember Nebraska that year was one of the worst offenses in America. Uh, really struggled offensively, put their defense on the field so much. And yes, that added to Sue's stat line a bit, 
But also, you know, the wear and tear that the defense gets when they're facing so many snaps. And you've got to remember, 2009 Big 12, that is like peak air raid, and that's all those teams. Texas Tech airing the ball with Mike Leach, um, you know, Sam Bradford era, so and Colt McCoy. So they faced some really, really strong offenses that year. And the amount of stat line he put up, I mean, it was incredible. So I thought that he deserved it, especially that there weren't any uh, any incredible offensive players that year. I think Mark Ingram got it, just the average Alabama running back. Uh, so that's one. That's definitely a snub. Um, you know, you can make the argument about Peyton Manning in '97. Uh, I think in a weird way it might have been correct because, like, you, when you when you vote, you never know what's going to happen in the in the BCS title or the playoff or the bowls. But uh, looking back on that one, it's uh, you know. You saw Nebraska destroy Peyton Manning in 97, and you saw Woodson win the uh, half of a title there. Um, one that I think if the voting were after the Bulls, obviously it would have changed, would be 05 Vince Young. And it's kind of ironic that that was the only one that's been vacated. Uh, obviously, with Reggie Bush's off the field issues. So uh, that's one where I think that, that that dude deserves a Heisman in some capacity. It's, it's weird, right, that it's voted before the playoffs, but um, I think if they were voted after the playoffs, you'd have a lot of these changes throughout the course of history. Uh, Deshaun Watson would definitely have a Heisman Trophy for sure, but um, but yeah, I think that uh, your other question, uh, years where there was where they were courageous in their pick, um, I think it takes some courage to give it to a non-quarterback. It's turned into basically a quarterback award nowadays. Uh, but you know, if you look back at the Heisman Trophy's history, it is cyclical. I mean, it, it kind of reflects where the sport's at. Um, you know, during wartime, it was all the the armed forces that were winning it because they had the powerhouse teams and the best players. Uh, you know. Uh, the you know the seventies and eighties when it was run heavy and smash mouth football it was all running backs that won it so and now we're in definitely a passing era and uh, you see that reflected with the winners so um, I think it, it could it could change I think that each each year that goes by people are more open to a defender or a non quarterback it's just that uh, maybe it wasn't the year this year yeah I agree um, well Brett I tell you what if you play your cards right you may eventually get a vote in the Eisman Trophy. <laughs> Oh, the down, the downstairs athletic club from the downstairs athletic club, you know, uh, but you, you're, you're getting your feet wet now with this Heisman thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I got to work up to that. It's definitely a good starting ground where I'm at here. And we'll, uh, we'll see if I can earn that over the years. Goals. It's all about goals. All right. So thanks for filling us in on that. That was incredible. Like I said on Twitter, I've been telling everybody that I know a Heisman voter now. Yeah, no, I love that. Really, yeah, it really worked a lot for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Me too. And, uh, yeah, appreciate it. To, I mean, I put this out there, you know, to all the followers, all the readers, all the listeners, all the radio hosts, podcast hosts. I mean, this has been a, you know, a grassroots kind of thing. Well, not grassroots, but, you know, it started sure. from, from thin air back in 2012. And it's been, uh, you know, great interaction with everyone and just uh, we've got kind of grown it together. So, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty rewarding seeing that come through. And you guys are a big part of that, too, with the Eyes on Big being on here about three or four times now. So, um, yeah, just thank you to, to everyone, including you guys. We couldn't be happier for you. It is uh, good seeing good things happen to good people like that. So, All right, so since this is a Big Ten football-specific podcast, we will end with a little Big Ten football talk. Um, we didn't really put any format on this, uh, but just want to get your overall thoughts on this year for the Big Ten. You got Ohio State at the very top, and you got Rutgers at the very bottom, and there's 12 teams in between. You can start where you want. What was your general thoughts on uh, the 2019 Big Ten football season? Yeah, well, general thought. General thought. Uh, coming into the year, I had Ohio State winning the conference and the, and the Big Ten East. 
nationally, uh, kind of the consensus amongst the other preseason publications was to go with Michigan. I think a lot of people were scared of the the coaching change at Ohio State and maybe the quarterback change. Uh, but I was more so excited with their defensive change, the way that they threw out Shiano's very complex, you know, Harry Potter sized playbook, threw that out the window and said, hey, look, we got the fastest players. We have the best, the most talent. Let them play. Let them play loose and let's see what happens. And you saw that uh, incredible improvement defensively, uh, just really let their athletes run loose. And, and you saw that. So to put Ohio State into context for how great they are this year and historically, a couple things. Uh, so last year, right, they're 12-1, and one, big, uh, big Ten champs, Rose Bowl champs and barely barely missed a playoff. So you're thinking, all right, that's a really solid team. From 2018 to 2019, they're number two most improved team in Power 5, according to my game grader formula. So from that point, they're still the number two most improved team. Uh, that's how high up they are this year. Um, and another thing I'm working on is I'm, I'm applying the game grader formula back to historic seasons and historic national champs. Uh, Ohio State is right there amongst the top with all those all-time greats you think of. 05 Texas, 01 Miami, even last year's Clemson team. Statistically, through 13 games, they're right there. So I'm not saying that they're going to you know, win it all or I'm not predicting that maybe, but um, at this point, they're historically good. So that was, definitely, that was definitely a surprise at the top. And were they number one in the country in your game grader? Yeah, they were number one this season and by far. I mean, I have them favored over everyone. Like I said, number one this year and and top five and you know right in the mix with all these other all-time greats. So it's just historic. I mean, and the, the key being that they played some tough teams and continued to blow every one of them out. They, they, uh, I think it was like plus 200 or 250 yardage every one of these big games. So sometimes even the final score didn't reflect it. Uh, I know the Penn State game, they destroyed Penn State statistically. It's just that a couple fumbles, Fields fumbled at the goal line, a couple late turnovers made that score look closer. But in game grader, I factor in more than just the score. Obviously, that's the key piece. But uh, when you factor everything else in, that was still an incredible blowout and uh, yet another you know statistical anomaly for Ohio State. So that's definitely the, the biggest surprise, if you will. A um, couple other surprises I want to hit real quick is uh, is obviously Minnesota. And you guys have probably chronicled that all season. Um, not just their development from 2018 to 2019, but within 2019 season. Because remember, they got off to a rocky start there in the, in the non-conference. All three of their games, I think it was Georgia Southern, an FCS team, and Fresno. And uh, they were all one-score games. And a couple went into overtime there and pretty shaky start. But uh, to then really just like a snowball coming down a down a mountain, just really uh, accumulate into a powerhouse at the end of the year. Um, Got to give credit there to Joe Rossi's defense, improved from last year after the midseason change. Um, I think maybe it might have been on this show, but I remember in the preseason I was like, yeah, I, I watched their spring game. It looks pretty basic. It's just this one RPO slant pattern. And lo and behold, I mean, they still run that same play, but you can't stop it, right? It's uh, Rashad Bateman and, uh, and Ty Johnson. They're incredible. But that was a great surprise. Another one, probably uh, I'd have to say uh, for Big Kurt, Illinois. I mean, uh, this is your, uh, I, I said this in the preseason, the transfer portal's case study, really. How's this going to work? I've never seen this much of a roster changeover via transfer ever. Um, and I said this was going to be the kind of the case study. And uh, and they were all big contributors, as you know, Kurt. I mean, they were a modern baby against Michigan State, right? And uh, Peter's the quarterback, so uh, Batuku and uh, a ton of guys. So, uh, and it worked. So you got to give Lovey Smith credit there, and the transfer portal breeding ground. It works. So, so do those you think are my that, three uh, uh, surprises. You think, do you think Lovey maybe set a precedent there for the rest of the country? He kind of tested it out, and it looks like it worked. Do you think other teams are going to start following suit and and really dipping into the transfer portal like Lovey did? Yeah, I think absolutely. Why would you not be more receptive to it? I mean, if you saw he was able to pull it off, right? And um, 
And these weren't just chump transfers. They weren't just two-star walk-on guys. I mean, you look at the USC bunch that came in. Uh, I mean, those are all four- and five-star guys. To uh, They moved into the USC uh, Illinois campus or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, no, I mean, these are good players that maybe – you know, maybe they fell behind in the depth chart, or maybe, which obviously happens a ton of time, a coordinator change. You might be committed to a school and a coordinator, a certain type of play, and then uh, a year or two later, that's completely wiped away. You saw USC's offense go through a change from traditionally tailback U, as they were known, to then a Texas Tech Graham Harrell air raid. Um, literally, he was the, the coordinator. So you might not be always uh, finishing where you signed up for. Um, so I think you'll see more transfers, and, and in this case, I mean, if the, if the kids are are benefiting from it, then I guess it's a good thing, a net good thing. Um, and uh, do you guys want to hit on a couple of negative surprises real quick? Do we have time? Go for it. Uh, okay, well, real quick, I have two. I mean, one from the West, one from the East. Uh, in the East, the, the worst surprise negatively has to be Michigan State. Uh, you know, they were top 25 in my game grader last year despite a poor record. Uh, what that told me was that they were, they were better than the record showed. I mean, they were competitive. They were barely losing games. I know that their injuries were, were big last year. Their wide receiver core was blown up with injury, and they were young. So I figured, all right, that's going to be a major improvement team. They regressed big time, and I think D'Antonio's whole, uh, you know, rotating the staff around the positions that they weren't familiar with, that that blew up in his face, and uh, and they really regressed. Uh, one, one quick stat on them, uh, you think of a blowout loss as maybe a 21-point loss. Uh, prior to this season, the prior seven years, it only happened four times. This year, four times alone, blowout loss. So uh, just, just numbers you never see from a D'Antonio team. Uh, so they're, they're probably my biggest surprise and negatively. And uh, my other one real quick would be in the West. Obviously, Nebraska, you, they came in as 50-50 nationally. Either people had Iowa or Nebraska. I know that you guys were smart and did Wisconsin, as you should have. It was, it was a smart pick. Um, I was in the category with Nebraska. I mean, I figured that they had a lot of close losses last year. You get that second-year coach bonus with, with Frost and his staff. More so a second-year strength and conditioning boost because the prior regime, Mike Riley and co., uh, they, they didn't touch a squat rack all those four years. I mean, you know, figuratively speaking. Uh, so I, th- I thought a return to the whole Husker power mantra and you know, more, more commitment to the strength and, and conditioning program would pay off, especially in the trenches against teams like Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota. It just none of it really clicked. It just didn't happen. Uh, they were atrocious in the red zone. Kicking game was something you'd see out of high school or even worse. Um, and there were still some penalties at times. I don't know. It just never really clicked. I know injuries were a part of it, but they weren't the whole story. So I think that uh, with Nebraska, you got to stress patience. I think that might be a four or five year rebuild, and then you know longer than the usual two or three year rebuild. So anyway, I, I had them as my division champ. They came up way short, and a lot of things didn't click. Uh, not to say that the Frost hire is is bad. I think that's going to be a, a major win for them. They're tearing up recruiting right now as we speak. But, uh, yeah, they were my, my biggest surprise negatively in, in the West. All right, so we're going to wrap it up with just one little piece here. Uh, just kind of curious on your thoughts. I know we talked a lot about uh, Ohio State, but as we head into – the bowl season, I think it is very compelling bowl season for pretty much every Big Ten team. A lot of good matchups. Uh, but were you surprised? Ohio State was ranked number one with, I believe, three weeks to go. Um, in that time, they take down Penn State. They demolish Michigan. Sure, they got behind Wisconsin, but pretty much stormed back in that game to beat a really sound, really good Wisconsin team. Yet somehow they fell from number one to number two in the college football playoff. Thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that was a, more of a factor of the conference title weekend where obviously they came out flat and 
the, for the first time all season, they finally looked human against Wisconsin. And you can say what you want about rematches. Obviously, they're tough, and that's not the right team to come into mentally weak. Uh, Wisconsin, they'll pound you, and we saw that in the first half. Uh, meanwhile, in the other game, LSU, you got to remember, Georgia coming in was what they the committee view, uh, viewed as number four. And what they did to Georgia, especially their defense, which was highly, ta- uh, highly touted, was incredible, I think. So uh, they had other wins to stack it up to. I mean, they had the Auburn win. They had Alabama. Um, you know, Florida was even top 10 at the end of the, end of the year. So I think they were pretty close win-wise, but I think Ohio State's magnitude of their wins was definitely better. And uh, in my, gra- my game grader, I have Ohio State by far number one, like I said. Um, I actually have them favored against Clemson, too. I saw that Vegas came out with Clemson favored. Um, I think a lot of that might be just, I don't know, like recency bias. Just finally you saw Ohio State weak for a half, but man, one half out of the whole season, the kind of gauntlet that Ohio State went through, I thought it was pretty ridiculous. Um, I would have I, th- I would have put Ohio State one uh, in the playoff bracket, but you know either way they're gonna have to go through one or two tough teams, so we're gonna have to line it up anyway. We'll see. All right, man. That is the feedback that we were looking for. That was that was a quick forty three forty four minutes right there. Yeah. One last no, quick question, it. Brett. Uh, where was LSU as compared to Ohio State in the game grader? Uh, so LSU was third, actually. Uh, uh, Clemson moved up to number two late in the year there because Clemson was blowing everyone out by 45, and uh, their score gets weighed down a little bit because of the opponent's strength, but when you're throwing perfect games out there, I mean, they started to, grow, uh, to rise up the ranks. Uh, as it stands right now, I have Ohio State by six over LSU on a neutral site, uh, Ohio State by four over Clemson, so that would mean that maybe Clemson by two points over LSU. And uh, we're going to get a huge data point in the first round. So when we're talking title game, we're going to get a new look at these teams. But uh, LSU, you know, for some for some background on it, uh, the reason why they'd be a little bit lower is because they had a lot of closer wins, um, wins where they're winning by seven or three or uh, giving up a ton of yards. I know against Ole Miss they gave up 400 rushing yards, and that's a pretty bad team. It's a you know a four win team that that cost their team with a, a, a dog peeing celebration. You know so. Uh, you know, against some inferior teams, they, they didn't win as dominantly as Ohio State did. Ohio State wasn't touched the whole season, so that's kind of why it shook out that way with my numbers. Yeah, and I mean, technically speaking, you know, you throw the four teams in, it, it doesn't make any difference. You have to play the best team at some point anyways, but I just think there's something to be said about the fact that Ohio State had to play Michigan, a big rivalry before the Wisconsin game. You get the you know proverbial letdown going into that, yes, even the Big Ten Championship. And then on top of that, uh, Ohio State playing a more physical, I believe, Clemson team, uh, whereas LSU gets to play less so uh, in Oklahoma. I definitely think that's a leg up for LSU. Yeah, I think that there's a huge difference between Clemson and LSU, and, or sorry, Clemson and Oklahoma when you're talking about first-round opponents. Uh, it, it's funny, the whole talk of the show was, oh, hopefully, you know, who can avoid Clemson? Who can avoid Clemson? It's like in the back of your head, it's like, is Clemson number one? Like, are they the best right. team? Everyone's so scared of them. I mean, they're, they've won 28 in a row or whatever. Uh, so who knows, man? I think, th- I think this is a, a year where there's three incredible teams. Uh, in, in any other season, they'd all be one seeds. But uh, you got three superpower teams and, you know, Two had to face off right away, but the other two will meet next round. So uh, I think we have a great bracket this year. Most years there's a fluke in there, like last year's Notre Dame team. where You just knew they didn't belong. Uh, this year you don't have that. Even with Oklahoma, in September they were the best team in my opinion. They were blowing teams out. That offense was doing its thing again. Um, yeah, I know that they, they had some issues midseason, but uh, they're, no, they're no slouch either. I think they're going to be able to score on LSU a bit. So 
yeah, we got a good bracket coming. It's a lot to lot to look forward to. Absolutely. But Kurt, you got anything? I'm done, man. Once again, this was this has been Brett Ciancia with Pick Six Previews. Uh, you got to give Brett a follow. Give Pick Six a follow. Excuse me. Um, and obviously, when he, uh, are you, I would assume you're doing the publication again next year. Absolutely. Yeah, I already started on the 2020 book. <laughs> of course, um, yeah. Yeah, we're already working on that. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to get it out earlier in the summer this year. Uh, this year, building out all the graphics and everything took a bit longer than I had hoped, but I have those uh, those ready to go for this year. Um, you got to try and get it out early June, kind of beat the rush of those preseason magazines that you see on newsstands. So, uh, I saw uh, last year, Kurt printed his out. I really appreciated that. And I, I know that that helps with the reading angle of it, but, uh, it's pretty cool seeing the book bound like that. So thank you guys for, for purchasing last year and, uh, and for all the high praise and we'll definitely get it going again this year. Maybe a little bit of expansion to some of those, you know, Boise state level teams, but I, I know my, my thing is the power five and that's where my, my bread and butter is and my expertise. So. We'll see what we do with that. But definitely all 65 again, and uh, it's going to be good. So you heard it here first, everybody. If you if you are when you are jonesing for some college football info, Pick 6 Freebies is going to be one of the first ones out next summer. That is fantastic. So for the Eyes on Big Podcast, this is Jeffrey the Greek. And this is Big Kurt. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Everybody have a very Merry Christmas. Christmas is the time of year For being with the ones we love Sharing so much joy and cheer What a wonderful feeling Watching the ones we love Having so much fun I was sitting by the fireside Taking a walk through the snow Listening to a children's choir Singing songs of our Blessed way that he came to of us Why can't it
That spirit of Christmas 